I'm Celine Williams, and welcome to the Leading Through Crisis podcast, a conversation series exploring resiliency and leadership in challenging times. My guest today is Executive Leadership Advisor Claire Chandler, who specializes in aligning HR and business leaders so they can deliver strategic outcomes both today and in the future. She taps into over 25 years of experience in people leadership, human resources, and business ownership to help leadership teams work together more effectively effectively, also efficiently, but I'm going to say both words, effectively in less time, with less cultural resistance so they can accelerate their business growth. Welcome, Claire. Thanks, Celine. It's so great to be here. Um, I'm very excited to talk to you because we were already getting into some stuff before we hit record. So as we get into this, I'm going to start with what I always start with, which is the name of the podcast is Leading Through Crisis. When you hear Leading Through Crisis, what comes up for you? Well, for, for me, I mean, first of all, crisis is constant, right? Uh, we were we were talking right before you hit the uh, the big shiny record button um, about the fact that, you know, we're we are constantly in tumult and in change and in transformation. And I think for leaders, um, they have we have I think we're all leaders. We have an obligation to be the calm amidst the storm to demonstrate consistency, um, you know, so that people can feel a sense of not just purpose, but orientation through the clouds and through the bumps and through the, um, the confusion and through the stress. So I think for leaders, you know, that the whole notion of leading through crisis, um, you know, triggers for me this sort of duty that leaders have um, to, to be a bit of the beacon um, and to help lead their people, their teams, their business, um, you know, through, through that storm and, and, you know, through sort of a, a sustainable um, journey. So, yes, I agree with all of that. I'm, yep. And what you just ended on, which is part of what we were talking about before, is this idea of crisis is... Con- Crisis is constant because change is constant. So any change can be a crisis. Like that's, for me, that's a baseline. But the idea of sustainability, when we have change happening and accepting that we have to find a way to balance this out, I think is a really challenging concept for people in general, leaders definitely, and businesses for sure, because they end up being so... um, incapable of or resistant to seeing sustainability when they're constantly seeing change and crisis. And I'm curious how, what do you do with that? How do you help them? Like, how, like, what do you do with that, Claire? (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. And you know, the, the answer is never easy, right? Like the concept can be quite simple, but actually executing on the concept is never easy. Um, you had used a word right before we we started recording, um, reactive. Mm-hmm. And I think especially, especially leaders, and again, like I said, leaders have an obligation to, to emit calm, to establish consistency, to give their people um, you know, a visible roadmap that navigates through the constant change. But I think for leaders, the temptation to be reactive is so great. Um, you know, you talked about some of the, the, the leaders, in the organizations you work with, um, 
and it's kind of surprising we haven't crossed paths before because I, I kind of work in, in a lot of the same spaces that you do. And so when you talk to executive leaders, you talk to senior leaders, um, they, there is so much change going on around them, right? And the higher up in the organization, the more they have a responsibility to um, see those changes coming as far down the road as they possibly can so that they can make course corrections, not sudden, um, you know, sudden, sudden changes. And I think for too many of them, um, they're, they're not quite sure how to strike that balance, right? So they might see some changes coming around, around the bend. Um, and rather than absorbing those, digesting them, filtering them through their lens of what is our purpose, what is our longer term strategy, they get into this sort of reflexive mode, which is human nature to react. And so I think the, the, the biggest struggle first that we have to continue to help leaders with is how not to get into a reactive mode, is how to stay um, true and committed to the journey that they want to be on, that they firmly believe is the right road for their company and their team and themselves, and, and stay committed to that and help them not to be reactive. Yes, be responsive, right, to changes that are coming, but there's a huge difference between responding to change and reacting to change. And to me, it, that all centers around control. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, I, yes. And something that came, so there's two things that came up for me inside of that. I'm going to say them. you can play with either, both, whatever. The first, the first thing that came up for me was, as you said that, I thought some of the reaction that I have seen that I'm sure you have seen that happens with executives and leaders and teams and all that. I wonder how much that comes from the fact that they actually aren't as convinced or sure of the path or purpose or journey that they are on, which is why when something happens, they react and they don't respond because it's, it, and this could be imposter syndrome. This could be coming from a number of different places. I, I'm not saying it's one or the other, but then they start to really question like, well, maybe this isn't right. And maybe this isn't the long-term and maybe, the, and they haven't, you know, they don't even, I think some of them don't, can't even necessarily verbalize that or aren't really clear on, on some of those aspects, but that's there. Um, and that to me is a very specific kind of path to go down with them. Um, and you were nodding. So I'm actually going to pause there and let, let you say something. Yeah. I, like, I'm afraid of what the, what the second option is because I, so like, I had this visceral response to what you just said, and I think you are a hundred percent correct. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that leaders and let's, and let's just talk about the executive leaders for a second. Yeah. Um, they, they do get knocked off of their, um, their path, I think quite easily because of the, the scope and the magnitude of change. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, th and, and here's, here's part of, I think what, what is challenging to the modern day executive leader that we didn't see in decades past, which is no longer do you have a CEO, a COO, or even a chief HR officer who spend more than five years in a company, right? Um, we are we are living in an era where the CEO in particular, but, but even the COO and others in the C-suite, uh, CFO, et cetera, are only around for, for a short amount of time. 
And most often, at least I've seen the strategies that they have put in place that they are trying to guide their people and their business toward should outlive them, right? Should outlive their tenure in the organization. And we can go down the rabbit hole of, you know, the, the Jim Collins work on good to great, what, you know, what's the legacy you want to leave behind. But the reality is because that tenure is so finite for the modern day executive leader, um, they are under immense pressure from their stakeholders, from the board, from the, from the community, from the press, from, you know, depending on the industry, um, and also from themselves to make an impact quickly, to make a name for themselves and to leave the company in at least as good, if not better condition than when they started. So you add that to the pace of change and the, and this sort of crisis model that we are all living in right now, it, it is sort of that perfect storm, right? Because those, those leaders are not, um, they don't want to keep changing course every day or every week or every quarter, but sometimes they feel so reactive because there is this sense of urgency to them making an impact through their business, hmm. right? Um, so I think that's very, very real. Um, you know, and coming back to your, to your point about purpose, I could not agree with you more that when the going gets tough, one of the first reflexive actions of executive leaders is to say, well, maybe our purpose wasn't good enough, wasn't clear enough, wasn't aspirational enough, wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And that's when that imposter syndrome definitely sets in. And I think below the executive leadership level from the senior leaders on down to your individual contributors, they're watching what you do. They're watching how you react. They're watching how you respond. They're watching how you lead. They're watching how you communicate. How transparent is it? How authentic is it? And if you get shaky in your connection to your purpose, to the mission of the company, to the horizon you're all striving to reach, it's going to infect the people around you. Just like if you have a solid commitment to that purpose day in and day out, regardless of the changes that come, your people are going to see that as well. Um, so it's hard being, being, a, being an executive leader, being an executive leader. There is so much pressure. There's so much urgency and there's so much spotlight. Um, it's a, it's a difficult role. It really yeah. is. Yeah. I, yes, I, I, I say quite often that I don't envy some of the, the things they, a lot of the things they have to deal with in their day-to-day -day roles. And I think your point is, I love the way that you, um, kind of put it together that there is a limit, not your words, but there's a limited time frame, right? Like they're in place for by the way, this is something that I complain about all the time with politics. Everyone is making a plan for the next four years and no one right. is actually thinking what that, what does that mean for four years after that or 10 years after that? Because right. they know in an executive's case, in a politician's case, four, five, six years, there's going to be someone new who's going to change it in some way to make it their legacy, which is part of the problem with, you know, why so many things are not a business's whatever you want to call them in, around politics, they're, they're not sustainable. They're not designed to be sustainable beyond whatever that approximate end date is. And that's a really challenging mentality and reality to deal with when you're talking about, or I think it is, please disagree with me. I'm not, but I think it's a really challenging mentality to, to, to be dealing with when you're thinking of sustainability and sustainable growth in business, because that, you know, if your bucket is four years out, everything's changing, 
or I, I'm changing. I'm not going to be here. I don't care what happens after that. I just need it to be at this point, at that point in time. That's not any really solid foundation for someone to continue to build on because it has an end date. Does that make sense? It, it, it makes total sense. And I think that is um, seldom the intention of the executive leader with the four or five year tenure um, to come in and say, I don't care what happens afterwards. But the problem is that's the message they often project. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's not it's not how they really feel. But there's Agreed. this disconnect between what they truly believe and what they want for the company and what they project through their their message, their transparency or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think all of that, it, it does come back to um, purpose and the strength of that purpose. It has to outlive the leader at the top. The purpose has to, and I've always said this, you know, I do a lot of work around purpose. I do a lot of work around culture. Mm -hmm. Um, Your culture, your purpose, your mission um, have to be bigger than just whoever is in the CEO's chair or the executive wing for any snapshot in the company's evolution, right? It has to be um, genuine. It has to be authentic. And it has to be something that the broader employee population can see a visible connection to, can actually relate to, right? How often do you see companies, and I know you said you work with a lot of Fortune 500 companies, how often do you see companies advertise for a certain type of employee? Um, you know, it, the, the one glaring example that I always use is how many times have you seen a company advertise for people who have an entrepreneurial spirit and they bring them on board and then as soon as that person demonstrates their entrepreneurial spirit and they sort of color out of the line outside the lines, the company goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like that's, that's not how we do things here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if your culture and what it promises and your purpose and your mission and what they promise outwardly attract people, but then the delivery of that culture, the delivery of that promise is incongruous with what you said it was, people mm-hmm. are going to notice the the best people who could have gotten you closer to that purpose are going to leave and you're going to be left with at best people who are just there going through the motions and at worst you're going to be left with a toxic culture so it is extremely important not just to get that purpose right but to stay true to that for however long you happen to be in a leadership role and be committed to that and be consistent in terms of the messages that you send behavior that you reinforce, the performance that you reward, right? The people that you advance, um, it has to all be consistent and true and authentic because the minute that it isn't, people are going to believe what you do, not what you say. I, yes, I love that. It's, so I do a lot of work in culture as well. And one of the things that I see all the time is that organizations get focused on the idea of culture it's like it's you know it can be a buzzword you and I obviously don't think it is we could have a whole other conversation about that for sure but people can think it's that there are leaders and organizations who it's a buzzword and it's a thing to do because that's what people say they should do and so they get into this um, idea of an aspirational culture that is not the actual lived experience of anyone in that organization and it is one of the things to me that un- that will so quickly undermine anything else when you say 
you have this aspirational culture, even from the get-go where people are like, I don't necessarily, I don't know who's living that world. That's not really been my experience, but then the lived experience continues to not be that. And you accept behavior, whatever, you know, that lowest, the worst behavior you accept, that is the baseline of your culture right there. So if you're not, if you're not, if that's not what you want, then you have to change what you accept inside of the culture. And it's so fascinating to me how the difference between organizations that and leaders that genuinely get that and want that and put time into it and they'll admit the mistakes that come with it because it's not perfect and people change and there's but will actually put some time and effort into it versus you know the we're going to say all these things and this is what we want it to be and hopefully it just turns out this way and nobody will notice if it's not the truth I I could not agree with you more. And I think the, the the biggest way that you can tell, as you said, between leaders who get it and understand um, how foundational and how mission critical the right culture is to your business and those who don't, um, I, I think traditionally we sort of looked at, at most leaders higher up in an organization as empire builders, right? Um, they They want to continue to ascend. They want to build a huge team around them. They want to, you know, they want to make an impact, but they also want to be compensated handsomely for it. I, I truly believe, and it's, it's kind of part of my mission is to find and to nurture and to help succeed leaders who don't necessarily want to be empire builders, but who want to be culture builders. Mm -hmm. Um, And to your point, not all leaders get that. Not all leaders truly understand that culture is foundational to your success or your failure. Um, and, and a lot of leaders still don't understand the biggest impact on a company's culture is the behavior of the leaders. Absolutely. A lot of leaders just say, well, culture just sort of bubbles up organically from the employees and it's almost crowdsourced. And actually the reverse is true. Leaders shape culture. Leaders impact culture. You just said it a minute ago. Leaders are the ones who who set the example for what behavior gets rewarded, what gets replicated. You want to reward and recognize the behavior you want to see repeated. Well, if in the executive wing, there are a, a bunch of people who say, do as I say, don't, you know, not as I do, that's what you're going to attract. That's what's going to get emulated, right? Because it, they're, they're seeing it played out. That's what gets rewarded. That's what get, gets advanced. That's what gets to go into the you know, the executive conference room and the fancy chair and the big expensive car. If that's the company you want, you know, that that's great. And and no judgment here, but you know, you, you are what you attract and you're going to attract that kind of a culture. And if that's the culture you want to build, then good luck to you. But it sounds like you, you and I don't want to work with those types of leaders. Absolutely. Well, this is, I say this all the time about very high, traditionally hierarchical organizations. There's a time and place for that. They have been successful in the past. It, I get, for example, in the military or a lot of hospitals, that that type of hierarchy is going to continue to be there for a number of reasons, i.e. the person at the top, when they make a decision, they have their responsibility. People could literally die. I yep. get that. You know what? Cool. I don't want to work with organizations like that personally. There's no judgment, but I can appreciate that that works for some types of organizations and some types of people and some types of leaders. But I think this is kind of the joy of 
one, the work that we do and the choices that are out there when it comes to businesses, there are now multiple ways of surviving and succeeding and growing that are beyond just that way, which is quote, the way it was done for so many years. And that's, that's kind of the, the joy of this in a conversation like this is it's not, there's not just one way anymore. And I feel like you and I happen to align with like, we want to work with organizations that care about people and encourage that kind of color, color, culture, and, (laughs) you know, live what they say they're, what they say they are living and admit mistakes and admit failures and are authentic and transparent and actually show up as people. Yep. You know, and it's, it's interesting because you mentioned, you mentioned uh, military as an example of being super hierarchical and and kind of, you know, just don't, don't question the leaders, just, you know, kind of follow through. And, And there is that, and, you know, trying to translate that into, um, an organization is is difficult now because people don't don't want that. However, there's there is a a big piece of the military or the veteran experience um, that I think organizations do need to emulate, which is a commitment to mission. Right. Um, so forget the hierarchy. Forget the don't question orders. Just carry out blindly. You know that that doesn't translate effectively to the modern organization. But yeah. they would do well to emulate this commitment to mission and having a mission and a purpose that is so um, unquestionable that people will put their lives on the line, right? Metaphorically speaking in an organization to to help fulfill that purpose. Um, and yeah, I mean, I know we've, we've, we've said it a couple of times, but I, but I absolutely think not only is, is uh, culture foundational, but if you don't have a purpose that has been well thought out that is super, super clear so that the leaders from the top of the organization on down can communicate it effectively and consistently. Um, And if you don't commit to that, if you don't show your people a tangible connection between what they do in their individual roles and why that matters, right? How that contributes to the shared mission, you're really missing out. And I think, you know, the the other thing, I think it's incumbent upon um, consultants like you and I to help companies understand the connection between a strong culture, a clear purpose, and a successful, sustainable company. Because there there is a much stronger connection between a fit culture and sustainable growth and success than there is between a toxic culture and sustainable growth and success. You have a toxic culture and you just let that form and you don't do anything about it, your company is going to go under ultimately. And I can promise you that. Um, Or... Yes. Or they won't because what they'll do is they'll have a strategy that allows them to acquire other companies and indoctrinate them into the toxic culture. And then that becomes, that's not, by the way, at a certain point, I hate to, this is not a popular opinion. At a certain point, that's, that stops being sustainable, but it will seemingly be sustainable for 10 or 15 years as the like, we're just going to keep acquiring and then we don't have to deal with the toxic culture. But there's a point where it's like, oh, there's no more companies to acquire or people are now so aware of it that they are just unwilling to take that money. Right. And I think, and and I call that out because there are definitely companies out there who are doing that. And, and, you know, people will look at those companies and go, well, look at that. They're managing to continue to grow. Ah, That's sustainable 
for only so long. Right. And, you know, you you alluded to this earlier, and I think we should come back to it, is this sort of short-sighted um, view of business strategy, right? Yeah. Because again, if the, if the leaders at the top have a very finite tenure and they know that the strategy is going to outlive their tenure, um, are, are they truly invested in building the right strategy and attracting the right people and defining the right behaviors and the right values and the right um, sort of milestones along the way? Um, you know, again, there it's, it is sometimes hard to argue against the leader who says, well, listen, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm here for, you know, a three-year stint and you want me to build a five-year strategy and I can do the best I can to put all the pieces in motion, but I, you know, it, it will only be after I leave if we know that that was successful. And it's hard for me to sort of, you know, get the energy behind it every single day when there is all this change and all this crisis and all this, you know, all this other stuff. It, it's hard not to be sympathetic with the plight of the CEO, regardless of, of the, the size of their compensation package. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And, and you said it before, and I completely agree. I don't envy them. I don't want to be a CEO. There's a, there's a reason I do what I do. I come in to help leaders like that to, to be successful in a more authentic purpose-driven way, but I don't want their seat. Yeah. So I'm really curious about, um, So I, I'm going to go back to the military and purpose for a second and bring it back to what we were just talking about. So bear with me in when you were talking about one of the, one of the things to learn from like a military environment, also hospital environment be the same is that there is a real clear purpose that everyone knows and understands and they know what they're there for. And it is, it is a long-term purpose, right? It is a long-term, this is not a three-year or five-year, whoever the head of whatever is, it is long-term. Um, and I think that, and I'm curious, I don't, I, this is actually not, I think that I am curious how that translates or how organizations who say aren't saving lives or aren't protecting a country or aren't something that is like that clear, how they can learn from that and apply that to the, the purpose in their organization and how they talk about it from your, and I get this as your perspective, but because I, I do think that I, I think that there are, I think that's a gap for a lot of leaders and executives is when you were talking about like, I'm here for three years. I don't, how do I get committed to this five years? That that's one of the things that came up for me is like, Ooh, how do you take that? Or how can they take that? Or what has your experience been with that? Cause I do think it's an important thing to get clear on and it's a yeah. challenging thing. If it's not as obvious as like, Hey, we're going to save, we're going to save lives at the hospital. That's our, that's yeah. easy to get behind. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and, and like we said earlier, right. It's, it's sort of, there are some simple concepts, but they're not necessarily easy to execute. Um, I, I think for, you know, the, the overwhelming majority of industries that I work within are not life or death industries. Um, and to your point, it's really easy to get behind a mission of saving lives or, you know, helping people, et cetera. Um, but for all the rest of you out there who are not in an industry where you know you're you're either a brain surgeon or you know a military general, um, I think the key is still understanding that whatever time you have in a role in a company in an industry, regardless of what level in the organization you are, make it as meaningful as possible for you. 
right? Mm-hmm. And so, and that's really a message to to anybody, whether you're you know a leader of others, a leader of a business, a leader of self, right? Is to really understand that life is pretty short, um, you know, and and too often I think employees just there there are so many jokes about well if we were supposed to enjoy our job they wouldn't call it work um right and so yeah like you're the eye roll right like how yeah it drives me crazy too yeah. and it's like it doesn't it doesn't have to be that way and yeah. you know to me you can find meaning and purpose and impact in any role in any company in any industry um was interesting. I was working with a group of leaders uh, last week, and one of them reminded me of the story of when President John F. Kennedy visited NASA um, Mm. shortly after he sort of made that, um, you know, that mission statement to say, we will land a person on the moon by the end of the decade. And he went to visit NASA. And as he's walking around, he passes by a janitor. And he said to him, what is the purpose of your job? And the janitor said, I'm helping put a man on the moon. The janitor understood that if he doesn't do his job, people could slip on the floor. There could be germs in the building that require people to, to take time off of work because they get sick. And the more people who are absent, the less likely you're gonna hit your milestones to getting to the moon. Like, and I know that is an extreme example, but it was so poignant for me and reminded me of what purpose is all about. You don't have to have the corner office. You don't have to be the CEO with a 20 year committed tenure. You can be the boots on the ground person. If you see a meaningful, tangible connection between what you do and why that matters, not just to the company, but to you, that's a successful career. I don't care who you are. So, you know, I charge everybody that I meet with trying to find more meaning in what they do because it does matter. And so, you know, you have it within you to make an impact and to, and to understand that connection. And if you don't know the connection between your role and the, and the shared mission, go ask somebody and, and have them help you find it. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that, so I actually feel like I could talk to you for the next three hours about a variety of things. And I also think that that is a great place to wrap where you're challenging people to say, go find that purpose, go have that conversation. If you don't, if you're not clear on it, if you're an executive and you feel like your purpose is clear, but it might not be clear for the rest of your team. If you're someone who is questioning, I think that that's a really good call to action for people to have. And I say that as my opinion, because I'm like, Ooh, I want to have many more conversations with you, but I think that's a really powerful call to action at the end. And I also want to give you the chances. Is there something that you wanted to emphasize or you didn't get to as part of this conversation that you do want to make sure we get to before we wrap? Because I'm just using my, like, I love that as like a, yeah, not necessarily to add new things onto it from my perspective, but that's only my yeah. perspective. I no, I I love that. I agree. It's a great way to end. The only thing I would add is just to um, is just to amplify that. So just like we said, if you if you don't see the connection between your role and why it matters, go ask somebody. Go ask the CEO of your company 
why he or she does what they do because we sit back right because we sit back and a lot of people just go well i know why they're here because they're making they're making bank they're making a cushy salary look at their car right but i would be willing to bet if you ask the ceo the coo anybody in the executive wing why they are there and what makes them come to work every day it is not to collect a paycheck So, you know, when you ask somebody at the very top of an organization to share their why, it might pleasantly surprise you. And a lot of times it's going to inspire you. So go ask. Um, you're awesome, Claire. I hope you- Well, you're pretty awesome. You and your cats are very oh, cool. Thank you. Um, I hope you come back. I'd love to have you back. Cause I, li- I'm not kidding when I say, I was like, I feel like we could have 14 different conversations inside of this. So I would love to have Let's you back. Let's do it. Um, but for those who are listening or watching, there will be links in the show notes, but you can find Claire, ClaireChandler.net and her, you can connect with her on LinkedIn and Instagram, and those will be in the show notes because that's where it makes the most sense to put them. Um, thank you, Claire. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Let's definitely do it again. Thanks for joining me today on the Leading Through Crisis podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a minute to rate and review us on your podcast app. If you're interested in learning more about any of our guests, you can find us online at www.leadingthroughcrisis.ca.